Hello and welcome to this Nudia on Your Mind podcast. Here in the studio are myself, Johan Trokmea, uh, my co-member of the Nudia Thematics team, Victor Sonnebeck. And we also have with us today, I'm happy to say, Arjen Hagsjanas, a Nudia graduate who has uh, or is still doing a rotation with us in the thematics team. Arjen, you want to say hello and what do you do otherwise when you're not with us? Yes, of course. Hello and thank you very much for having me. Uh, usually I am in the group finance or the treasury team where I am part of the team who developed the internal forecasting models for the bank. Lovely to be here. And as always, great to be back with another podcast. And, and uh, as you once said, Orion, great to have you here as well. And in our last Nordic Mind podcast, we talked about funding for Nordic large corporates in the much harsher economic and capital markets environment that we have had since 2022. And I guess a harsher environment could be a term used to describe today's topic of cybersecurity as well. So you might say um, that it's it's uh, both a new and, and some old challenges uh, with this topic that we have uh, written about. Uh, back in 2018, I uh, wrote the fir- first Nordic on your mind about cybersecurity uh, some five years ago. And this was actually less than uh, than a year after the two big cyber attacks, WannaCry and, and uh, NotPetya uh, by North Korea and Russia, uh, which uh, proved to cause massive damage uh, for corporates globally. And since then, uh, we haven't really seen any massive state-sponsored attack uh, or actors on a similar scale uh, conducting such attacks. Uh, but we have seen significant uh, growth in uh, in uh, cyber attacks by organized crime groups. And this is, of course, something we wanted to dig deeper into and, and uh, hence uh, this new report. Yes, and uh, sadly, uh, cyber crime has grown sharply, is growing sharply, and will most likely also continue to grow. Uh, and this, of course, makes us believe that this topic will stay very relevant for corporates in the future as well. So in this talk, we will look into why cybercrime is growing, how uh, even cyber attacks by what you could call ordinary criminals, in other words, not state-sponsored actors, can harm society as well as the corporates uh, and private individuals that they attack. And we will touch upon how rising geopolitical tension in the world could revive the threat from state-sponsored actors. And of course, what corporates should, uh, or how corporates should view risks and, and how they should try to protect themselves from this threat. Yes, so if we start with the why behind this uh, depressing growth of growth of outlook for cybercrime, it has to do with digitalization. Uh, More and more of our professional lives and private lives are migrating online, which increases the attack surface available for criminals. Simply, they're just following us where we are. I mean, we can just start with the the very basics, I guess, and, and, and put some numbers on it. So, so six percent of the global population is using the internet uh, today, and the expectation is for this to grow uh, to to as high as ninety percent uh, by by twenty thirty. Uh, and looking at the smartphone use, uh, you know, mm. uh, commonly uh, people are using their smartphones more and more for everything that they do in their lives, uh, and some sixty three percent of the population of of uh, in the world uh, are using smartphones uh, on a daily basis. Uh, But specifically then focusing more on our home turf, uh, looking at the EU, uh, we have some 91% of people uh, using the internet, which is also interesting then because 9% are actually not using the internet. Uh, But in the Nordics, uh, this figure is as high as 98%. So so we are in the Nordics very, very much um, uh, on top of digitalization. Uh, and, and and this has been been something very important to our society. But as Arjen said, uh, this also leaves us uh, vulnerable to to cyber attacks. 
So we can conclude that the 9% non-internet users in the European Union are not in the Nordic region, in other words. Yeah. I mean, digitalization lets us do a lot of things differently and uh, usually more easily and more efficiently than we are used to. Uh, within the EU, 60% of people today interact digitally with authorities. And in the Nordic countries, it's not 60%, it's actually 91%. So again, the Nordic region is ahead of the Europe-wide development here. We are pretty digital in our part of the world. And this also makes us more vulnerable. It, it, it is still pretty new for us to do this. We are not as well aware of risks as we are of the risks in the physical world. I think to try and be concrete, if we imagine any of us going out to a party, uh, leaving it late at night and then be on our way to walk home, we probably wouldn't walk home through an empty urban park uh, owing to the risk of getting robbed or assaulted or whatever. But the question is, if I ask you a rhetorical question, are we as diligent about sharing sensitive information online? And the, the simple and, and I guess unfortunate answer is, is that we're actually not. As, so in this report, uh, we have a fantastic interview with uh, Pontus Jonsson uh, from the Royal Institute of uh, Technology here in Stockholm. And just on this topic of digitalization and, and, and you know how sensitive we are in the Nordics uh, when it comes to cyber attacks, uh, Pontus brings up the, the, the great point that we have built our society and we have been very successful in being innovative and, and, and in digitalizing uh, our society. Uh, but doing so, we haven't really stopped to, to think or stopped to, to focus on cybersecurity. And because as it typically works, you know, developing some, some new sexy functionality, that's typically fun. And it typically, uh, typically gets, gets a lot of, a uh, lot of interest from people and, and, you know, companies want to do it. But taking cybersecurity into account, that's more of, of a kind of uh, pausing the development and saying, okay, let's, let's, you know, take some longer time to develop new functionalities to make uh, make sure that they're safe. And in the Nordic region, uh, we can take Sweden as an example, we haven't really had these you know, large-scale attacks as some other countries have. So we haven't really needed to you know, take a, st- a step back and really look at the, the cybersecurity side of things. So we have been very successful in digitalizing our society, uh, but we haven't really been focusing uh, on, on uh, cybersecurity as much as we probably should have. Yes, and I can only agree with that. Uh, currently, the cyber criminals are exploiting our technolo- technological developments and behavioral changes. So for them, it's basically right now pointless to try to rob a bank or steal a car, at least in the Nordic countries. But the online arena offers a new possibilities for criminals, as we are less careful and we are not as well protected here, just as Victor explained. And we do see the, the damage. I mean, look, looking on a global scale, um, global costs from cybercrime doubled uh, to some six trillion US dollars between 2015 and 2021. And the expectation is that this will, this will reach uh, some 10 trillion dollars by 2025. So, I mean, this is, these are staggering numbers. Trying to put these uh, 10 trillion dollars into some kind of context, uh, we're talking about roughly the, the 20% of the market cap of the S&P 500. And of course, this is on a global scale. Uh, but then looking at, at you know the situa- situation for Nordic countries, as we just explained, we do more things online, uh, and, and we are a bit behind when it comes to cybersecurity. So comparing these figures, uh, one could expect it to, to on average, uh, be uh, quite a bit worse, actually, uh, in the Nordic region. It's actually shocking numbers. And, and I think a question many would probably be asking is, 
who is causing all this damage. Um, in order to understand who the perpetrators are of cybercrime, we think it's helpful to split cybercriminals into three main categories, uh, and we would split them into hacktivists, organized crime, and state-sponsored actors. And who are they? If we start with the, act- the hacktivists, uh, we a would... fancy name. Absolutely, and, and, and an appropriate name. Uh, and as the name might suggest, they tend to have an ideological agenda. It's often oriented around hacker culture and hacker ethics. Typical focuses being free speech, human rights, freedom of information. Uh, what they want is to try and drive opinion and to make a point, and they use attacks typically such as website defacements, dis- uh, denial of service, data theft and leakage. Overall, the hacktivists can mean well on some level in what they do, but at the same time, given what it is that they're doing, they can also undermine the security of the internet uh, as a forum for all of us to use for a lot of different very valuable things. They don't usually directly target corporates. Yes, and that takes us to organized crime, who are in it for the money. They are professional, systematic, deliberate, and they engage in a wide range of online crimes. They use breaches for direct theft, scams, fraud, and even extortion. And these are the ones that usually target large corporates for their attacks. And then uh, finally in our three groups, uh, and I guess uh, perhaps the the most relevant one given the geopolitical situation that we're in, uh, we have the state-sponsored actors. Uh, So so, uh, we in this group would call them probably the scariest actors. And and, and, uh, uh, what we're talking about is then, of course, the the groups that are directly or indirectly sponsored or or, uh, controlled by nation states. Uh, So either operating on behalf of these uh, nation states uh, or with malicious intent uh, for these nation states. So you could say, for example, North Korea, uh, probably the only state actor that, that we know of that, that is primarily in it for, for the money. Uh, but when it comes to, uh, we would say, most state actors around the world, uh, it has a lot to do with intelligence uh, gathering and, and espionage. Uh, but uh, again, to some extent, uh, attacks uh, to, to try to cause harm uh, on an adversary. For example, what we saw in the beginning of the, the, the war in Ukraine with Russia. Uh, trying to to uh, disturb communication satellites or c- communication networks, um, so corporates can be subject to damage from espionage and theft, uh, of course. Uh, but we have also seen, as I mentioned in the beginning of this this podcast, with the NotPetya attack, for example. Uh, situations where corporates are simply collateral damage uh, to a state-sponsored attack. And we have uh, interviewed Johanny Hintika, the CEO of Finnish cybersecurity group Witsecure, uh, in this report. And he gives us a rough estimate of around 70% of cybercriminals are unsophisticated. They are unable to harm corporates who have at least decent cyber defenses. Then if you move on to the professional, uh, they are around 28 to 29%, and they are usually high or highly organized and, possess, and pose the main threat towards corporates. And then state-sponsored actors who are only 1% to 2%, but you're extremely hard to protect yourself against given their sophistication and the resources that they are backed with. And the way those roughly 28-29% who are the professional cybercriminals operate is that they typically find a way in, uh, they attack, they get your data, then they try to make money from that data. And the most common way for them to gain entry into a company system is the human factor. Uh, They use techniques such as phishing, spear phishing, social engineering, or actually having an insider in the company who helps them. 
And then I guess the question is, what what can you do with uh, with this type of access? I mean, on the one hand, you have uh, you have ransomware attacks where you can lock up a system and then demand a ransom in order to to unlock it. Uh, but then you can also have you know, situations where the criminals try to steal sensitive data or they alter sensitive information. And then this data, you can use it to, 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 uh, well, you can sell the data on the darknet. You can encrypt it or remove the data and extort the company in, in, into, into paying in order to, uh, to retrieve it. Uh, yeah, a bunch of different things, uh, basically, uh, that can affect uh, corporates. And we also wanted to understand better exactly how cyber attacks can cause economic damage, especially for corporates. Uh, so for this, we looked at IBM's big annual cybersecurity study, which was extremely helpful. It is actually based on around 3,600 interviews in 550 affected organizations. And if we look at a trend since 2016, it takes an average of 200 days to discover a breach. And then on top of that, another 70 days to actually contain it, which leaves around nine months for a typical breach to do damage to the company. And this is almost a year, so it's extremely long time. And looking at what the costs for breached companies actually are, they, on average, split into about 30% each for detection and escalation, post-breach responses, and lost business. So those three are the big items. And the remaining 10%, roughly, is costs for notification. If you want to put it a different way, you could say that the bulk of the costs suffered by companies when they are breached come from actually dealing with and then fixing the breach, from communicating with and finding solutions and compensation for the company's customers and regulators, and the disruption itself, which is a big item, not being able to produce or to sell or to deliver to your customers. And then uh, again, just trying to put some numbers on it uh, from the same IBM study, uh, they show that the average data breach costs some 4.4 million US dollars uh, globally. Uh, But I think it's important to remember here that we're talking about a a very broad average. So so this includes, of course, uh, you know, smaller breaches and larger breaches. So if you are a bigger company and if you have a bigger breach, uh, of course, you can expect this to to be much higher. Uh, But if we just take these 4.4 million US dollars at face value, uh, what can we kind of roughly translate this into? And just one way of looking at it, uh, you could translate it into some 110,000 working hours. Uh, you could put that as uh, 13,600 workdays or even 37 work years. So putting it in that context kind of shows you just how much the, the, simply the average uh, data breach uh, can actually cost a company. And sadly, it's not only about the direct cost for companies who are attacked. Cyber attacks can cause big problems for the economy and society, even when only the company is the direct target uh, for the attackers. And so we have included three examples of such problems in the report, uh, which are the cyber attacks on Colonial Pipeline, Norsk Hydro and Kaseya, which I think most of you probably in one way or another already have heard about. And if we take them one by one and start with Colonial, uh, the company runs a pipeline from Texas, which supplies about 45% of the fuel used on the US East Coast. They suffered a ransomware attack in May 2021, which disabled their billing system. They paid the ransom demand of 75 Bitcoin, which was at the time about 5 million US dollars. But the decryption tools that the attackers sent them after paying the ransom uh, were actually slower than their own business continuity tools in getting the business back up and running again. The pipeline system was shut down completely for six days, 
it became fully operational again after nine days, so not a huge amount of time. But that time and that disruption was enough to cause a petrol price spike in the affected states in the US, fuel shortages, people hoarding fuel, queues at the petrol stations, and even a state of emergency declared by President Biden at the national level. The CEO of Colonial said that the disruption would cost the company, in his words, tens of millions of dollars in relation to a profit of about 420 million per year. So that gives you a sense of how big a chunk would be uh, taken up by damages from this attack. And evidently how much the society as a whole uh, was impacted. Uh, the next example is, is uh, more on our home turf, uh, Norsk Hydro, uh, the listed Norwegian aluminium uh, producer. And they suffered a ra- ransomware attack in March of uh, 2019, uh, which locked its data. And the company decided not to pay a ransom. Uh, and, and, and during this time, uh, production was severely disrupted uh, with manual operation and, and retired staff coming in to help with you know, the, the old paper-based system since the IT systems weren't, uh, weren't working. Uh, the IT system was, was cleansed and rebuilt from backups after some three weeks. And the estimation of the total cost for this disruption was some 800 million Norwegian crowns, or some 4% of EBIT. And perhaps you should also mention that Norskidro decided not to pay the ransom. Yes, yes. Moving on to the final example of the American-based software group Kaseya. They had the data locked by ransomware attacked in July 2021, and they also decided to not pay the $70 million ransom. Uh, so this ransomware, it basically spread through its own virtual virtual system administrator uh, remote monitoring and measurement software. So it basically attacked, affected 800 to 1,500 businesses worldwide. And one of those were, of course, the Swedish food retail, retailer Coop. And Coop also decided to not pay this ransom. Uh, but as a result of this, they had to close around 700 of its 800 stores for six days and then rebuild the whole system <laughs> from scratch. And as our, as security estimates that the closures cost Coop around 100 million CEC per day. So cyber attacks can hurt companies directly quite badly. And they can hurt customers, they can hurt suppliers, private individuals and society as a whole. Are corporates well protected against them? I think the answer to that question is that it varies hugely, and it's really a bit up to how you choose to measure it. But one metric you can look at is the share of companies which have cyber insurance, because that would be an indication of how aware they are that it's a risk and also one tool available to try and mitigate that risk. And if you look at that share across the EU, it's actually 22%. So just over one company out of five in Europe would have cyber insurance in place. But the shares are higher in the Nordic region. In Finland, it's 32% of companies. In Norway, 37%. In Sweden, it's 48%. And in Denmark, it's actually a whopping 73%. And I think these figures, uh, I mean, at least the contrast to the rest of, of, of Europe, uh, also shows what we talked about earlier. The fact that we in the Nordics have been uh, you know, striving to digitalize as much as we have. And this, of course, has left us vulnerable. Uh, but at the same time, in these figures, we do see that companies are actually aware. 
uh, of, of the problem. Uh, and I think uh, from our discussions with companies, this is something that, that is growing uh, and, and companies are becoming even more aware. Uh, but what we want to kind of stress with this, this report and with this podcast is that uh, cybercrime is potentially existential for companies. It's an existential risk. Uh, if, if, if it goes really badly, uh, it can turn out to be very, very devastating for your company. And we would call it a strategic priority. And this is not just a simple IT problem, uh, but we would rather see it as a business risk and should be treated as such uh, with decision-making involving uh, the senior management. Exactly. But there are some good news. Uh, and is that protection against cybercrime is not really rocket science for corporates. Uh, the foundation for it is basically just basic IT hygiene. There are both technological and behavioral tools for it as well. I mean, on the basis of this, um, IT systems are vulnerable. Uh, it's as simple as that, and there, there will always be vulnerabilities. Looking at the bigger tech companies, for example, in the world, they release you know hundreds of different bugs or vulnerabilities every month in their systems, and and, and that's not going to go away. But as you say, Arjen, there there are some simple kind of solutions before we end up in a world where we perhaps have better tools in order to create more safe uh, systems. Uh, and we're talking about you know basic IT hygiene, uh, quick googling of of you know top five things to do as a company in terms of cybersecurity uh, will give you the same uh, the same answers but it, but it's about you know staying on top of your software making sure that everything is updated uh, restricting access for staff according to to what they actually need uh, you know it's about enforcing access discipline and includes for example using robust passwords or, or using two-factor authentication uh, you know don't have your password be password one two three and don't write it on a post-it note it's pretty much about that uh, but also also, as you mentioned earlier, uh, phishing attacks and being aware uh, what they may look like, you know, not clicking suspicious links that you receive on your email. Uh, if you get an email from, from your CEO uh, in your company uh, asking you to, to transfer money, well, perhaps you should, you should have a direct talk with, uh, with your CEO uh, if he actually sent the email. Uh, it's about being aware uh, of, of these different ways uh, for, for uh, criminals to uh, attack companies. And remember, the human factor is usually what allows a breach. Behavioral tools for cybersecurity, beyond all those technical or software-related tools that you've mentioned, include having every member of the organization questioning unusual activity, double-checking remote desktop access requests. You might think it's your IT support, but it could actually be somebody else. And if it happens in an unexpected, unusual way, the first thing you should think should be to question it and, and, and really double-check that it's really a legitimate request for access. What you need is for members of the organization to be aware, to react in the appropriate, natural way, to apply judgment in what they choose to share, for example, in social media, so that they cannot so easily be socially engineered and have criminals exploit that and use them to gain entry. Making people aware of the magnitude of the risks, as you mentioned before, they can be existential in nature, they can drive companies bankrupt if it goes horribly wrong. And the way to achieve this as a company, as an organization, is to use training to try and introduce and maintain a sound culture with good incentives for staff to want to do the right thing. When staff raise the alarm, they should be applauded for doing that. They should not be yelled at or questioned, uh, wasting senior management's time with uh, uh, going on wild goose chases. They should be encouraged. Uh, and also, 
if company or if members of the organization end up in a situation where they are vulnerable, say for example, if they manage to accumulate gambling debt, ideally they should rather go to their boss and confide in the boss and say, I've got mm. a problem, I need some help here, rather than leaving themselves vulnerable to be approached by criminals who will say that they pay off the debt if the staff member from the inside gives access to the criminals to the company system. Exactly. So as you just described, you one the human factor is a large problem uh, for corporates, especially if you have good or bad cybersecurity, you can still be attacked or breach. And this is even more important for large corporates with a lot of employees. It just takes one person to screw up and then your system can go down. Uh, so this is why it is critical to have business continuity. Disaster recovery and contingency plans. Everything is so much easier when you are prepared. Remember Continental Pipeline, they paid the ransomware and they got the decryption tool, but in reality their own uh, software was much faster. And so Continental Pipeline was able to restore its business faster with its own tools than with the criminal's tools. And uh, trying to wrap it up, uh, you could say that cybercrime is unfortunately uh, growing. Uh, We do see some new trends, uh, given the the geopolitical situation that we are in. Uh, So there are some some, some darker clouds on the horizon, perhaps. We don't know, but we'll see. Uh, But we just wanted to kind of stress the importance of of being on top of cybersecurity and and at the very least just being aware and and making mindful decisions and trying to work to to, um, instill a sense of urgency and and, and uh, create a corporate culture uh, where this is something that uh, actually every employee is, is mindful of. Uh, so the core of cybersecurity, uh, we're, we've been talking about basic IT hygiene, as we would call it, uh, and, and where the human factor is uh, the most common vulnerability uh, for corporates to consider. Uh, and addressing this simply through training and, and culture or incentives for staff to do the right thing. Anything else to add, Yvonne? I don't really think so, other than thanking our listeners for joining us in this conversation. Uh, it's been great fun as always. Uh, our next Nordeo Mind report will be released after the summer. That's going to be a new take on our evergreen theme of financial targets, which we last wrote about in a Nordeo Mind report back in 2019. This time we're going to have a updated data series, of course, but we'll take also a look at the use of targets during crisis times. So, see you all next time. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.